So we started a series last week on the early church, having a look at the book of Acts and learning what we can about the early church. And last week it was also the church's birthday, Pentecost, so that fit in well. But we're moving on a little bit today. But before we start that, I think there are probably only two people that some of us, or maybe most of us, depending on your history knowledge in the room, um, that can name. Two people that we can name that were crucified by the Romans around the time of the first century. Who can name one? Jesus. Did someone say Jesus? That's a Sunday school answer, yeah. Who can name the other who can name another one? Paul, he wasn't really crucified. Spartacus. Spartacus, I heard. Everyone was looking for the Bible answers. I was just talking about history. Spartacus. Who knows a bit about Spartacus? Well, if you don't, maybe you could watch this Netflix series because I'm sure it's accurate. But this is Spartacus according to Netflix. There's this new series and lots more people know about this guy, Spartacus. Lots of people in the world know about him. Have you heard about Spartacus? Yeah, yeah. You just were thinking Bible answers, weren't you? Yeah. So Spartacus was crucified about 70 BC. And he was crucified because he led this massive slave rebellion. And it was so successful that it scared Rome. Because Rome didn't want to lose its slaves. It had millions and millions and millions of slaves. And they realized that if this group of slaves ever got together and organized, they'd be really stuffed. (laughs) They'd be in big trouble. So they took Spartacus because he was the one that had led this rebellion, but they also took all the people that fought with him and they crucified them. And to remind the world that you just don't mess with Rome, what they did was they crucified them on the highway from where the final battle was towards Rome. So you can see all these people being crucified. And it was a bit of a statement saying, don't mess with Rome. And so the Roman historians made sure that the story of Spartacus was spread far and wide and that this would-be slave rebellion leader, this leader was seen to be a bad person and no one would ever want to walk in his footsteps. So that's why people know Spartacus. Fair enough, right? History tells us don't be a slave rebellion except we did that and we're past that and we thank God for that, don't we? But the real mystery isn't why people know Spartacus because the Roman historians wanted us to know about Spartacus. I think the real mystery, isn't it, is how on earth we know about Jesus. How do we know about this Jewish carpenter who was crucified by Rome with so many other people at the time. It was a very standard form of torture, of death. Why is it that we know the Jesus story? Why do we know more about Jesus than any Roman Empire, em- emperor? Sorry. How is it that 2,000 years later, more than that, we sit here today and we worship this Jesus? Well, the answer is eyewitnesses told the story. Eyewitnesses told the story. Rome didn't want the story told, but those who witnessed the death and the resurrection of Jesus told the story. They said, here's exactly what happened. We saw it with our eyes. And the next generation says, here's what happened. We were told it by someone we trust and whose life was transformed by that message. And then we even have it in the Bible, a guy named Luke, other gospel writers, but a guy named Luke wrote a gospel, but then he also went one step further and he wrote a book called Acts, which is short for Acts of the Apostle, or as we were told in college, it should have been called Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the early church, how the church got started. Because it started, we heard last week, with just 100, 120 people who were witnesses, who met together, they were disorganized, they were a bit random, but they had a simple mission. But over time, the church 
got organized. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the fact the church needed to get organized. It was a good thing. But of course, when we get organized, things happen. And one thing that happens, and this is not talking about our church necessarily, although I think we're prone to this too. It's not talking about the Salvation Army necessarily, although the Salvation Army is prone to this too. But church researchers say this happens in every church, in every organization, every denomination. That when we get organized, when we start trying to work out how to best do things, we start to focus inward rather than outward. We start to think about what's best for the people already in the movement, the church, the organisation, rather than what's best for those outside. This outward focus movement of the early church, it was like, hey, we don't care what your skin colour is, where you're from, we just want you to know that Jesus is the Son of God and is risen from the dead. That movement started to turn inward. And this is what researchers say about church history. The gravitational pull for the local church is always towards the reach rather than the unreached. This is very natural to start getting too involved with what the reach, those people that already know Jesus want rather than thinking about what those people need that don't yet know Jesus. And this transition happens pretty quickly. They they forget about the mission. They forget about what they were were called to in the first place. And what happens then in any organisation that this happens to, not just the church or or Christian organisations, but when when we start facing inwardly, we start turning on each other. We divide. We focus on what the differences we have. You see, in the very early church, the only thing you had to believe, the only thing you had to know was that Jesus was the Christ. He was the son of the living God. He rose from the dead. High five, that's it. You know that, you're in. But really, if you don't believe it, no problem. Hang around us as well. How can we help you believe it? And in the meantime, while you're making up your mind, what can we do for you? Because you're not our enemy. We're not against you. We're just so excited about something and we want you to know about it. That was the attitude of the early church. We're not going to force you to believe, but we want you to know because we're so excited about this news. We're going to look more in a couple of weeks at the fact that actually the early church, they had some division. There was some things that didn't go absolutely perfect. It's true. But the Bible tells us that because they were unusual, because they were unique, because they were attractive, the church grew. The church grew and it grew quickly. I think one of the ways, and here's where we're going this morning, one of the ways that we know whether we're on track with mission, whether or not we're doing what Jesus set out the early church to do, what he wants us as a church movement to do, one of the ways we know whether we're on track is when we look at the way that we pray. How do we pray? And we're going to read this morning Acts chapter 4 in a moment, the first prayer that was recorded by the early church. But before we go there, I want you to think for a moment, how do you pray? How do you pray? What do you ask God for? What are the things that you pray about? Generally, people pray for the most part for things for themselves, for things for their family, and for things for maybe a couple of people in their closest circles. And we should keep praying for those things. Don't get me wrong. We need to pray for ourselves. A prayer of submission, of kneeling before God and saying, God, what do you want from me? Is a very important prayer. We can't stop praying for ourselves. We should pray for our families, those people that God has given us to look after. We should pray for those in our circles, our friends, our church. We should pray for those people that are on our prayer list. But if we stop there, I think we're stopping short 
We're stopping short for what the church was meant to do or meant to be about. If all our prayers are about us or, we, or people that we know, does that really change the world the way God intended us to change the world as the church of God? If God answered all your prayers last year, would only you and the people you know be better off or would the world be changed? So back to the early church, here's what happened. As we heard last week, and you've probably heard before, most of you, 3,000 people joined the church the first day on opening day. And a few days later, Peter and John are going to the temple. The temple's this epicenter in, Ju- in Judaism. It's where God lives in the minds of the ancient Jews. He's right there. And Peter and John are Jews, although they've now converted to Christianity, but they're going to the temple to pray, to pray to their God, to pray to the Jewish God, but they're now Christians who believe in Jesus. So it's a little bit of conflict going on with them, but also going on with people around them. And they see a guy, we read in Acts chapter 3, a guy who hasn't been able to walk since he was born. He's holding out his hands and he's begging. He wants some money. It was the way that they did things then. That's how he would survive. And Peter and John say, and many of you would know this story, and many of you have sung. Who knows a little bit of a ditty song about this from Sunday school? Anyone? Peter and John went to pray. (laughs) Yeah, not willing to put up your hands, but willing to clap. That's right. And they met a lame man on the way. The lame man held out his palms, and Peter and John did say, what did Peter and John say? Silver and gold have I none. That's right. I'm not going to do any more singing because I always get hassled when I sing. And it's the only thing people remember about the sermon, so it's probably too late anyway. But they said, we don't have any money, but we've got something greater than that. We have something that you will, will change your life. We want you to get up and walk. And this guy is miraculously healed. In the name of Jesus, they say, get up and walk. And he gets up and he walked. And he didn't just walk. The Bible says he went walking and leaping. Oh, you all know the song. You don't know your Bible that well. You know the song, I know. But he was outside the temple begging. Next minute, he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God in the temple. In the temple, he's making this ruckus. And so people are sitting there thinking, what's this Frank doing walking and jumping and leaping? Okay, I gave him the name Frank and maybe I'm ad-libbing a little bit with the story as the Sunday School song does. But you can read it in Acts chapter 3. But all of a sudden, there's this emotion and energy in the temple Now, it was one thing that Peter was creating havoc outside in the streets, but then they were bringing it into the most holy place of God and the Jewish people were concerned. So everyone gathers around and they're they're looking and asking Peter what's going on and Peter can't help himself as he did last week. There's a bit of havoc around. What does he do? He gets up and he preaches and he preaches this sermon right there in the temple where he had no business doing that. He wasn't one of the authorities. And Luke tells us, though, that at the end of that message, another couple of thousand, so then over 5,000 men and then women and children as well, had become Christians in the city of Jerusalem. And I think we think about that in our cities and we think, oh, 5,000, that's not much. You know, 5,000 was about 10% of the population. Peter preaches two sermons and 10% of the population convert to Christianity, say, I want to follow Jesus. Well, the people in charge of the temple, they say, come on, guys, you can't be preaching like that in here. I mean, they especially felt a little bit picked on because Peter would keep on saying in his um, sermons that Jesus, that you crucified, they, they got a bit defensive. Like when someone says that you did wrong, the Jesus that you crucified was raised from the dead. They, they get a bit put off by that. So they arrest Peter and John. They throw them in jail for the night. And the next morning, they pull them out of jail. And they say, so what is this thing you've been talking about? And Peter says, I'm glad you've asked. And he launches again into another sermon. But he concludes with this, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And this is where we pick up today. 
Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, talking about the name of Jesus, no other name given unto heaven by which we must be saved. There's no other name. Well, really, to be honest, that just bugged the leaders of the temple, the leaders of the Jewish sect there. That just concerned them. In verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. He was standing there with them. They, they couldn't say, rubbish, the name of Jesus doesn't work. This man, they all knew, had been lame. So they say, okay, Peter and John, we're going to let you go. But would you please just be quiet? Don't come in here talking with, about this kind of ridiculous teaching. Don't talk about Jesus. Definitely don't talk about the re resurrection. And quit saying that we crucified him. Jesus was dead. We don't think he's alive, but if you think he's alive, whatever. But just be quiet about it was basically what they said. And then they let them go. And then Luke tells us this is where they pray. Now we'll look at the prayer in just a moment. But if, can you imagine what would you have prayed in that moment? What would you have prayed for yourself? What would we as of a church prayed for those believers? Because to be honest, I think our prayers would quickly go to God protect them. God, help them find ways to still do their ministry. I think the organisational part of the church, I mean, it's hard enough just to get somebody on a bus to drive, isn't it, Joe? Wherever Joe is. Can you imagine the organisation of the church? They would have said, okay, guys, first, Peter and John, never go anywhere together anymore. We need you guys to separate. You're too important. And also, we need to call in some security. Make sure there's security here. Number three, we're going to turn down some of the stuff. Now, don't use that word resurrection too often. Maybe just eliminate the R word. John, you've preached a, a sermon, or he hadn't yet, but he would preach a sermon about love. Preach about love. That's what people want to hear. Let's just be quiet for a moment. Let's just get on with what we're doing. And after a while, we'll ramp back up the Jesus resurrection thing. I'm sure that's what would have happened if it happened today. I'm saddened by that. But we would have organised it away. But this is what they, they did. They prayed. And this is how they prayed. Verse 24. When they heard this, this being the report of Peter and John, they raised their, this is the disciples, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, God, before we ask you anything, we, we want to just acknowledge that you're sovereign, that, that you made all this anything. Nothing happens without you knowing about it. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. This was an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus and against his anointed one. And then they bring it into the context. They say about what's happening now. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So they're praying, God, you're the greatest, you're sovereign, you know what's going on. You predicted these kind of things. We know that you let these things happen, that they haven't won, that you're still in charge. And then they say in verse 28, they did what your power and your will had decided before should happen. And then they get to their prayer request. Check this out. Verse 29, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness hang on a minute great boldness 
Isn't that what got them in this mess in the first place? Isn't healing someone outside the temple bold? Isn't speaking inside the temple and preaching about the name of Jesus bold? Isn't boldness what got them into this predicament in the first place? Isn't boldness what got them thrown into jail? Yes. And here they are. They don't shirk back, but they turn to their God and they pray for boldness. And in my 21st century mind, I'm thinking they're already really bold, but they're here praying for boldness. And it goes on, verse 30. Here's the next thing they ask for. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What were they asking for? You know what they were asking? They were asking to be able to go out into their community among people who didn't believe so many people in their mind, 90% of the people around that didn't believe. And they wanted to live their lives in such a way that people who didn't believe, who were skeptical, would see something in their community, in their marketplace, and would see that must have been an act of God. They were praying that people would see God in the things around them. I wonder what our prayer would be if we prayed today something like that. I had a go at writing something this week that I would like to be praying for. This is my prayer, and maybe you can think about these words. God, would you please stretch out your hand and do something through me in my community? My unbelieving friends, my anti-church friends, my friends that have been burned against religion or burned, sorry, by religion. Among my friends that think they're so smart and start arguing with me and I feel too dumb to tell them the answers. I don't know, I can't convince them with my power, God, but would you be willing to stretch out your hand and do something unusual? Not for my benefit, I don't care if I'm thrown back in jail, Peter and John might have said, but for those who don't yet believe. You know, that was the whole point of healing in the New Testament. The whole point of this miracle outside the temple was people would see and know that Jesus lives and that Jesus heals. We've just looked at that over the last few weeks as we've been looking about healings. It was about pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to who God is, that they would say, tell me more about this God that did that. So they're asking, these, these believers that are gathering, they're asking to be able to go out and demonstrate the power of God, not for their own sake, not for their own comfort, not for their own protection, but for the sake of what God was doing through the church in the community. What would happen in our church? What would happen in our country? What would happen in our world if churches everywhere added to their prayers? We pray for ourselves. We seek God's will. We listen to his voice and hear what he wants for us. We pray for those that we know and that we love. But we extend our prayers to pray more outwardly as well. Keep me safe. Protect me. Heal those people I love. Heal me. But also, God, would you give me boldness with my friends? Would you give me boldness that I would see opportunities and take those opportunities? I'm not a bold person, God, but would you give me boldness? Maybe that needs to be your prayer today. And God, would you stretch out your hand to do something unique, do something different, do something through me or apart from me that people would say, who is this God? What would happen if we came to pray like the first century believers? What would happen if we responded to hardship like Peter and John did with prayer, with boldness? You know, God designed us to see what we're looking for. It's part of the way our psyche works. So when we start to pray for opportunities to speak about God, we'll see those opportunities. Have you noticed that? When you ask God to place someone on your heart to speak to, he does that. This morning, 
I invite you to think about your prayers as an indication as to whether you're on track with what God designed for us to do in the first place as the church of God. How much more are we praying for others than ourselves? So we're going to put up this, um, that prayer. I'm going to um, just reflect for a few moments before the ensemble start to sing just while they're playing. I want to invite you to pray this prayer for yourself this morning. Make me bolder. Give me opportunities. God, stretch out your hand. Help me to see what you're doing in my world. Help me to see who you are through a baby. Help me to see the difference you're making in the world through a great leader who inspires me. Heal my friends so I can tell them about the God who heals. Would you join me in making this prayer part of your prayer life? So just read the prayer for a moment and then we're going to sing about the powerful name of Jesus to conclude this morning. about the beautiful name of Jesus.